0: and two hemispheres enfolding every race nation and language then you're considering catholicism well ed here we are again in the forest love it i'd love and, it here oh i i hear a I hear an airplane up in the sky oh there is there a you go there is you know, no, no matter how far <clears throat> off the grid you go and we are pretty far off the grid here i mean there's nothing but gas station pizza down the road Right. Out here in the deep woods with the turkeys and the right. you know well the other, the other, the other lurking woodland creatures. Well, right? we've got the turkey herd and the Bambi menace. The well, and, the the deer and the bunnies waiting for you to leave so they can eat the things you plant. Well, I have trail cams out here, and I know for a fact that not only and <laughs> I do raccoons and possums, but coyotes. I have seen oh. coyotes in my trail cams, and not only that, I am still. Trying to believe, not quite convinced, that Sasquatch might be out here. But okay. nevertheless, and despite all of that here in the deep woods on the shore of a great lake, we have airliners flying over our heads.
1: Well, and this and begs the question, for me anyway, wh-
0: how do you bait a Sasquatch? Or are well, we, the, are we oh, the bait? Maybe we're the bait. I want to know what Sasquatch eats. You know what? This would be an excellent test for chat GPT. I mean, AI. Oh. And we can We can have... Oh, we should totally do that. When we're done recording, we should take our phone here and we should ask chat GPT how to catch a Sasquatch. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like bait, but then what's the trap? You know, like right. I'm imagining kind of like in Roadrunner cartoons or something or in Elmer Fudd, like there would just be this giant box with a stick and, right. and then a string, right. you know, and then when Sasquatch goes into the box to get, you know, the cookie or whatever, right. we pull the string out and the box falls on
1: Maybe they're it. smarter than we think and we could leave like Xbox in there. And and they they, they wouldn't even want to come out. That's right.
0: So anyway, an airplane has flown over. I think it has gone by. So we can uh, turn to the topic of the day. And all I know is that you uh, texted me the other day and said (laughs) that you had a very interesting conversation with somebody or some people and that you couldn't wait to tell me about it. And it was about Catholicism. And that's really all I know. And so I thought, well, Let's do this for the listeners in real time. So apparently you had some really interesting conversation about Catholicism with some Protestant friends of yours. And so you go and tell me about it and we'll talk about it. All right. The setup
1: is I have three friends from high school. I've known them all since the seventh grade. Love them to death. We have stayed in contact for the most part all these years. Two of them live in this area. One lives in Florida, which is many states away from here. And we see each other in various combinations once in a while, a few more than others. There's one guy that I have started keeping, con- since, he, since he retired, we've been having breakfast when we can and, and so forth. Anyway, so he knew that I was considering Catholicism, but
0: mm-hmm. the other
1: guys didn't know. And we planned a weekend, last weekend, we all met and the four of us, plus our wives, went to see the Beach
0: Boys. Ooh, fun. Sort are they? The, are they they're like well aren't the Beach Boys all dead is this like the replacement Beach Boys or something
1: yeah it's it's the it's, the, it's two of the dudes the semi one, Mike Love the, the nasally card guy singer he's you know it's fun to see him another guy named Bruce Johnston who's who, who's traveled with them since the mid-60s and so they were otherwise it was just a band of ringers that in my professional opinion didn't play very well together although they, although they were all really good the band didn't have a sound with air quotes, and Mike Love and Bruce Johnson can barely sing. I'm, I'm just
0: thinking about that line by uh, Robert Downey in Entropic Thunder, where he says, I'm a dude, playing a dude, disguised as another dude. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, so,
1: so they, they, they made fun of themselves for being old, which I appreciated. They sang three songs, and then Mike Love says, we're going to take an intermission. I got to lay down. Um, anyway, so we did that, and we, so we all stayed overnight. This has got a place. And we all stayed overnight. And in the morning, we all went out for breakfast. And as it turned out, we couldn't get a table for eight. So the ladies all sat together and the guys all sat together. It was just, it just happened that way. It was like, ladies were starting to sit down and we're like, well, okay, we'll, we'll all sit over here. And the, the Catholic thing came up in conversation. And then there was no other topic the whole morning in, oh. in, in, the, in the booth there. And their, their reactions ranged from intrigued to just outright appalled and these <laughs> these guys are uh, all Protestants they've all been serious about their faith ever since I've known them what okay f-
0: what flavor of Protestants
1: one one is a Baptist or was a Baptist goes to a big evangelical church with about eight billion people in it uh, another one is a worship director at a He's just kind of a strummer on the guitar and the piano and, well, you can't strum a piano. But anyway, if anyone could, he could. And he leads worship at this tiny, tiny little country church, very rural. And the other guy goes to another big evangelical church, but they were Baptist growing up. And I think one of them was a Methodist and one was a non denom And okay. so that was, you know.
0: Now they're, uh, now they're big, now they're contemporary yes praise and worship music, the whole, yep, the whole okay. thing. Yep, the whole thing. Yep. Exactly who I was right. for a long time.
1: And as we talked about it, so the question here comes: the questions, and they're all the questions that I would have asked. All they're all the questions I asked you. And there was a little bit they they were really respectful because we're friends. I mean, you know, we're good friends. But they wanted to know, well, how? Okay, behind this all was Ed. What are you doing, man? Like that was the subtext, you know, and. To start out first, two things to say about this. The first thing is, and then I want to get your reaction to the way I handled this. Or you Mm -hmm. know, I was telling, I told you a little about it, and you said, "Oh, first of all, I am very happy to report that I had answers and was able to defend myself." Great. Thanks to your well, your discipleship of me here on the air. Thank you very much on the air and off the air. I had not only good solid answers to defend what i was i was saying but i was also able to cut through some of the sort of spurious questions you know an example being one of them said now you know ed i read in the in the bible i don't know a lot about this and this is this is his flavor you know i might be very smart but i know this much that kind <laughs> of you know and I, you know but when jesus said when he did the last supper he said, you know, as often as you, often as you eat and drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I just think that's pretty plain. That's just plain. That's what it is. How How is it that the Catholics got all the way to it being some sort of right? And when he said the word right, the other two guys were sort of nodding. and I And I thought that the word paganism was drifting around in between the pancakes and the toast sort of without being said, you know? And my answer was that, if there was just a book and all we had was the book and all we had was one paragraph, then sure. But that's not the case. It's, uh, it's mentioned in other places. And Jesus also said in very, uh, at least one place, eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. He said it when he was preaching one time. John was, chapter 6. And in fact, he said it and it offended everybody so bad that the crowd left him. <laughs> I got to go investigate. I got to go read that. Anyway, because it cracks me up. Anyway. So we launched a long discussion about the early church and apostolic tradition and all of that, and I'm happy to say that I didn't get any. They never were able to say gotcha. They were they, they and and one of them at one point said, "You know, you make some really good points, but here's the thing that was. Let's talk. I want to talk about more about the subtext, the the paganism subtext. That was the thing. How did it was obvious to me because I used to be them." That they thought of okay, so so communion is just a simple little reminder. And that's all there's nothing mystical about it. Nothing mystical about it. It's just, hey, just do this and remember me until I come back. And there's nothing mystical about baptism. It's just an outward symbol of an inward change. It doesn't do anything for anybody. It's not really necessary. It doesn't change you. It doesn't do anything. You're just dunking under the water. And that, in, that was a revelation to me how far I had come that I realized I'd, I'd no longer, that I, that I think of some of the things that we've been talking about as a little bit mystical, and I really like it. It's the Protestant I used to be and the Protestants that they are. They like it very, very plain, and there's nothing spooky about it whatsoever it's all right there on the surface jesus died for our sins and that's that that's all it is that is just all it is
0: transactional yeah okay yeah good word right yeah i mean that's a word that comes to my mind as you describe that it's a it's a transactional view it's a reduction so it's reductionistic to this transaction jesus paid my debt on the cross that's it we're done you know, exchange, you know, his ticket for mine, transaction paid. I mean, you know, you know, remember those things too that you talk about that. It's like, it's like if you had a huge credit card debt and some guy like, you know, paid it off and then you woke up one day and go, here, debt's been paid off and now you're free and you go, uh, and certainly there's a dimension to that, to the gospel, right? Right. But it's a reduction to nothing but a transaction.
1: And they, and to their credit, they all take it very seriously these are good These are good men, okay, yeah these are men that don 't cheat on their wives. these are guys right. that, that have worked hard all their lives oh, and, yeah. and treated people
0: fairly and and, and yeah. all the things you know these are these are great guys oh well do you, that was your world, it was my world my right. whole adult life until I... so you know,
1: this search. is not a, a, any this is more about how they see things yeah. and how they how they see the right. world. It's about uh, their worldview, yeah, the
0: template they put on it yeah.
1: and i was uh I could talk a lot more i mean i would I would like to listen a lot more in upcoming episodes about the things that maybe we talk about the sacraments more. I love that they're sort of mystical, and I love that God is bigger than I can imagine him i I don't want a God that I can reduce down to somebody I can understand, and I can just keep him in my pocket and pull him out when I need him or or at least. He's tame, you know i don't I don't want that i'd like to be a little- scared of him I'd like to be a little I'd like to think that there are greater things in this world than are dreamt of in my philosophy, right? So
0: what say ye okay, so w- w- you texted me a couple days ago about this conversation, and it was a super short text I mean it was like th- three or four sentences, and you said, "Hey, I had breakfast with these guys and." you know, we were talking about all this. And I think what you said in your text is their takeaway is that Catholicism seems mystical. And I think that was the end of your text. And my reaction as I read that was, I almost texted you back, but I didn't. So what? Yeah. Right. I mean, I was going to, I was going to, I mean, you know, cause I knew we, I thought, well, instead I said, Hey, let's get together and, you know, talk about this on the, right. on the air sort of thing. But my first reaction that i almost texted was and so what like it seems like catholicism seems mystical and you go yeah so what well i i I don't think it should be and you go i don't like that and you go well okay Uh, that's your preference see right my, my takeaway from that is you prefer it not to be Right. Or it's not your preferred style. I prefer things that aren't, you know, spooky and mystical and supernatural. You go, right. okay, um, that's your preference. But do you have any reason to think it's not other than that you would prefer it not be? Right. Right? I mean, yep. so, you know, my, my reaction to this is like, what I want is I want my Christianity to be like, you know, non mystical, non spooky. There's a word, like, you know, an internet word, woo, W O O, apparently. And, you know, we're old and not very hip or whatever, but I figured out that on, on the inner tubes, right? So when you talk about something like woo, it means like it's it's like spooky and mystical, like woo. Right. Okay. Woo, right. Right. So so it's like it's got, you know, it's the woo. And you go, right. yeah, you know, it's like, I prefer there not to be any woo. Right. And you go, Okay, I get that you prefer that, but but do you have any reason to think that Christianity isn't mystical or supernatural right. or whatever other than you wish it were not or you come out of a subculture in America where like that's not your thing. You go right. mm, you know, okay, so because I want I want to take a couple of things that you said and kind of bring them together here. So first of all, these are good guys and thus the world that I, you know, lived in Most of my adult life before I entered the Catholic church and I was one of those guys, everybody that I worked with, all the other pastors I knew, the seminary went to, right? The people in my churches. Yeah, I get it. But I left that because it doesn't reconcile with scripture or church history or reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second. First of all, w- when you're having these conversations, and it's interesting, I got, a, I got a reader email. Actually, I've got a couple of emails from readers where, where someone says, hey, this is really helpful to me because I'm talking to my friends or contacts or whatever about the faith. And I like listening to the episodes because it gives me you know right. ways to sort of conversationally frame it. So what I would say is if I'm sitting at wherever you were, the Cracker Barrel or something, right. and you've got the pancakes around the table, and they say this you know, you can make some allusions to other biblical passages, but it's not the time to throw out proof texts. I mean, I could do that. I could say, okay, now let's look at, you know, this chapter, this verse. Now I'm going to turn to this chapter, this verse. And maybe there's a time and a place for that. I don't want to do that on this episode. I'll allude to some things, but I don't want to get into proof texting because really the issue is trying to keep the big picture in mind with these guys. So if you're super interested in that, can, you know, we can provide, you know, chapter verse. right? But here's, the thing I would say, like, and I think you handled that well, you know, so the guy says, well, in the Last Supper, I mean, and he's paraphrasing. He just says, do right. this, but, you know, and you go, right, but I can find, you know, multiple other references. Right. Like, if we really want to do this, Bob, let me go through John 6. Let me go through Paul and Corinthians. Let right. me go through this. Let me go through that. And I'll find you umpteen other references that frame that in a supernatural way. Right. So we could do that. Right. And, you know, we've done I think we did like I think last in the last year, we've done like eight or I think we did ten episodes on the Eucharist. And you can go back in the archive yep. and find because we talked about the miracle of transubstantiation. Yep. And we had three episodes talking about the miracles of the Eucharist. Right. So let's set that aside for a second. But then you talked about the sacraments in general. And they said, well, you know, the sacraments are just, you know, like baptism is a symbol and this is a symbol and this is a symbol. Historically, if you want to get into church history it's a little bit interesting because that arose in the latter part of the Reformation. And in particular, there was a reformer named Zwingli. And Zwingli was the one who said, hey, the sacraments are nothing but symbols. But this is a minority view and it doesn't reconcile with scripture or tradition. So let's talk about that. It doesn't reconcile with scripture. And again, without me going through and doing the chapter verse thing, let's just put this on the table is is christian mystical and weird well i don't know it's founded on the notion that this guy rises from the dead and when they first see him they don't recognize him and they think he's the gardener and then he mystically moves around in this body that goes through walls because he appears in the upper room and then disappears right right? so the whole i mean i we could do a thousand things about the the miracles in scripture and you know the theology of it all. And we could talk about that, but right away, the central premise of the incarnation is based on a a pretty mystical experience. Right. Right. Where the angel, Archangel Gabriel shows up, says to Mary, he's conceived by the Holy spirit. Right. Right. And then we have, you know, not only the miracles, but then the central event, which is the resurrection is this kind of strange, mysterious thing. The body seems to rise, but, you know, Peter and John run to the tomb. The women get to the tomb. They see this guy who they think is the gardener. and They don't recognize him as the Lord. Then he appears in the upper room, comes, you know, through the walls or right. something, leaves. He has this body that seems strange. He says, don't, you know, touch me. I'm not gone to my father yet. But then he lets Thomas touch his wounds. So the body still has wounds. The, the day of the resurrection, he appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they don't recognize him for two hours. And then right. they get to the inn and he breaks bread. Back to your thing with the Eucharist, yep. he myster- breaks the bread and mysteriously their eyes are opened. Yeah. And they, they mysteriously have this revealed to them. And then he just disappears. And then he appears again in Galilee and appeared to other people in and out of rooms, seeing you travel. He appears up in Galilee and does the mysterious thing with the fish and they eat breakfast together. And then after that, they're talking. And then he. And then he ascends. I love C.S. Lewis, I think, described it in Mere Christianity. He said, and then he goes up into the air in exactly the opposite fashion of a paratrooper coming down. Right, from it. Right. He just kind of goes up and is hidden by a cloud. And then these two angels appear and go, well, you know, somebody, yeah. you know he'll come back down. And you go, well, now, if that's not kind of spooky and weird and mystical right. and supernatural, I don't know what is, right? right? So at the very core of christianity set aside catholicism right the whole thing is based on the intersection of the supernatural and the natural Mm -hmm. and when we talk about mysticism let's just define what we're talking about it is that an awareness of and an interaction with the supernatural dimension
1: Mm
0: -hmm. at certain points the your awareness that that kind of mystical spooky woo experience is 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 the supernatural revealing itself within the natural, like the appearances of angels and resurrected right. bodies, and at the baptism of Jesus by John in the river, a dove coming down, that's the Holy Spirit, while you know, a, bo- a voice mysteriously says, "This is my son." right? I mean, the whole thing is full of all of these kinds of strange interactions of right. the supernatural realms permeating and coming into and penetrating and being revealed to the natural world. And let's just stick with Jesus. That's not even into the Old Testament and all this, just sticking with Jesus. That's exactly the struggle that the people had reacting to Jesus is they wanted him to, it, to be a rational, clean experience. So he comes in and it's like, well, you're gonna get rid of the Romans, right? Yeah. Well, no, I, this, this temple that I will destroy and be right. raised again in three days is not that. It's like, what does that mean? He's before Pilate. You know, I am, you know, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world, right? I mean, right. the whole thing is this strange permeation of the supernatural to the natural and exactly the struggle. I mean, go on to the apostles, go down to Pentecost, go on to Peter, who's praying one day and he sees this thing about the sheet that comes down with the animals and, you know, and the Peter kill and eat. And then he goes to the Cornelius, the centurion's house in Caesarea and reveals the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles. You know, Paul is on his way to Europe and he sees a dream of a man of Macedonia who tells Someday, right. I mean, all these strange, or you know, excuse me, on was in Asia. But the point is, is that the the entire Bible. And if I'm talking to Baptists and Protestants, I go, okay, let's just stick with the Bible. Shall I show you a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen instances just from the New Testament or the Gospels where s- strange supernatural things are revealed, right. and they're the central premise of Christianity of an incarnated God. Who dies and rises again and will return again in glory. And it seems that the people who can't accept the gospel are those who want to reduce it, that reductionism, Mm -hmm. down to some rational transaction. Yeah. Right? So the people who cheer him on Palm Sunday, great, great, behold, you know, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, throw down the palms and all that. Now get rid of the Romans. Well, right. that's not why I came here. I am gonna. I came here to do some kind of right. strange spiritual kingdom thing about bodies. Right. And they, that was in his trial. He said he would destroy the temple. The temple I will destroy is not the temple you see, but the temple of the right Holy right. Spirit in my body, my mystical body, which will be raised again. Right? And so the whole thing is that, in, and I think it comes out of this, Certain particular tradition that uh, comes out of Western European Enlightenment tradition of the Reformation yep. and then into the American character that wants everything to be tidy and kind of rational and transactional.
1: Well, that was the whole Enlightenment thing, wasn't it? That there isn't anything
0: except what we can see and measure. Right. Right. And we've talked about that on the podcast many, many times. I think we've had multiple episodes. We'll talk about it because we're going to build an index of the episodes for all of you because we're now at like approaching 150 episodes or something. But, you know, we've talked about that, that the the Christianity is about more than you can see and measure. Right. And the supernatural is about more than what you can see and measure. And when you look at, you know, you talk about what, what flavor of Protestants they are. And again, you and I both worked in the megachurch world for years. I've worked in the megachurch world for 20 years. The thing about the megachurch experience is there is a transactional quality to it. You're going to come in here, there's going to be a hot band. It's going to play some smoking songs with a fog machine and moving lights and a laser show. And then there's going to be a video. And then the guy is going to give a message, not a sermon, not a homily. He's going to give a message where he talks about practical things and he encourages you to make these sort of transactions with God. So trust God and he'll do this for you. He died for you so that now you're liberated free. There's, it is really a transactional sort of theology. And aside from everything else, like I said, what I'm trying to say to these guys is your preference for that, the fact that you would prefer Christianity to be a simple, rational transaction and there'd be nothing spooky or weird about it and it'd be very tame and controlled, is your preference. And your preference is like, so what? what we should be asking is that what it is and again if i just start with the four new testament gospels matthew mark luke and john it's not that there's nothing right. in the gospels that's tidy rational it's pulled up, pull up and pretty spooky stuff so right out of the gate there's that and then you talked about the sacraments and like i said a minute ago the and the whole thing about the sacraments being symbols when you go back to the reformers So let's just talk about Luther and Calvin and the definition of the sacraments to the Protestant reformers, most of them, other than like Zwingli, Calvin's definition is that they are outward signs or manifestations of internal or supernatural transformations. Mm -hmm. So baptism, for example, is an outward visible sign for Calvin Right. Of an inward or internal. Change. Change, supernatural change. Now that's Calvin's definition. Catholicism would go further than that. But even the reformers, other than Zwingli, didn't think it was just a symbol. Right. And that brings me to the other point I want to make. And it sounds like you kind of went there with these guys. And that has to do with tradition. And it's something that we bring up over and over again in this podcast because it's central to the discussion with Protestants. And that is the notion of tradition and the role that tradition plays. And here's what I'd say. Let's apply it to this. If we went back to all of the Christians that have ever lived, okay, mm-hmm. all the way back to the apostles and the generation asked for the apostles, and we were to look at some of these questions like, what are the sacraments? Or is Christianity mystical in its character? Are there mystical dimensions to the christian life are there mystical dimensions to the liturgy and worship right right are the sacraments mysterious and mystical in character and, and, and supernatural in character what we would say is that from the apostles on everybody has believed that until right. some protestants split off right and stopped believing but if you looked at all the christians in the world as of today and we looked at Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Syrian right, right, and even among Protestants, half of the Protestants, like the Anglicans, the Calvinists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, right? Yep. All of them would say the sacraments are mystical and transformational. So if you think of all the Christians who have ever lived today and up until now and think of a pie chart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What you would have is even today, it wouldn't even be all Protestants that think that, but a very small sliver of global Protestants think that. I know for a fact that even Protestants don't think that, you know, the non-mystical thing, don't think that in Latin America or Africa, because I've been to Latin America and Africa when I was doing missions and missions training and teaching right. and stuff. And I can guarantee you that you go to Latin American, you know, Central America, South America, I've been to Africa, Asia. I guarantee you for a fact that Protestants there are more charismatic and mystical and
1: yeah. have a greater awareness
0: yeah. of the supernatural. So what it really comes down to is a very small sliver of guys right. who live in a very small subculture in america who want everything to be reduced to this rational transactional thing and then if you add in the historic you know the gk chesterton's democracy of the dead all of christians ever lived before what you come down to is you know of all of the followers of jesus christ that have ever lived you're like in three percent like this three percent ply slice which in my mind presents you with a sort of a dilemma which is that, are you saying that the other 97% of Christians who've ever lived or lived today are all wrong? Now, maybe they are. Maybe you, there has been a great apostasy that the church just went wrong from the time of the apostles on and that nobody has been able to look at scripture and discern the real truth of scripture until you and your buddies came along a hundred years ago or 200 years ago in in America and certain parts of Europe and decided to reduce it to what you've reduced it to. Right. Now that's possible. That's a way you could go. Right. But I'm going to use a word, which I know these guys would, it would be offensive to say this to them, but I'm not saying this about them personally, but their viewpoint is arrogant because it's a tremendous arrogance to go. You know what? All the Christians that have ever lived from the time of the apostles on the vast majority of them have never really understood scripture. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't know how to read it. They didn't, they've, they've been doing it wrong all along until me and a couple of my buddies in here in the upper Midwest decided to make our churches like this. And that's the way right. we want it. And all the rest of you have had it all wrong for 2000 years. And I, I just look, dude, that's, you know, It's a way you could go. That's a strategy. But I'm just telling you that if you are going to say that the church has had it wrong for 2000 years, and even most Protestants around the world have it wrong to this day, then you better, the burden of proof is on you to bring some pretty strong evidence to the table. Like you better walk me through and show me those verses and show me how Cause I'll, I'll show you all of the people who've written on those verses from the church fathers in the first century to today, and including all of the Protestant reformers who wrote on those things like Calvin and Luther right. and it, and I'll show you how they all from their commentaries, we'll go, we'll right. pull out the books. I'll pull out the biblical commentaries and go, you know what? You do understand that what you're saying is that everybody has been wrong and everybody has read this verse wrong. In fact, the greatest and most notable scholars Catholic, Orthodox and Protestant, have all completely misunderstood this verse yeah. until Dave from Michigan <laughs> sitting at the cracker barrel. Right. Finally, <clears throat> right? <coughs> well, we'
1: read it rightly. We talked about this, and they one of the guys was a little more vocal than the others. And, and he said, "You know, he said, but, OK, but who's to say?" What's right here, you know I mean, we got scripture and we got all these but these you know these things happened thousands of years ago, the the apostolic tradition and now is and I said, you know here's what it boils down to. Your church says that baptism is this or communion is this, and somebody else says something else. The, qu- the real question is here, who has the authority? I said, who who has the authority to say that it is or isn't? And your pastor, you're at a church and your pastor starts teaching something weird that you think is weird. Who has, you just leave, right? Who has the authority to tell him that he's wrong and that he has to sit down? Who has that authority? Increasingly, nobody. Well, they don't, and these guys, I don't, this is a, this is a thing because they've lived in this all their lives. Mm-hmm. I think they just haven't thought all the way through it.
0: There no, hasn't I mean, been need to. Like, to be generous to these guys, because I know they're good, they're good people, but they live within a subculture. Yeah. But the problem is they can't, they don't see themselves living in this subculture. So when I, uh, one of the colleges that I attended on the library of the university was carved this saying, I think it was of the Roman uh, writer Cicero. but. I remember being impressed by it. It said, and I'm maybe paraphrasing here or something, like that, he who knows only his own generation is forever a child. Hmm. And the notion was like, okay, I live within a very small subculture. I live right. within, you know, the upper Midwest, you know, part of West Michigan, right. w- white people, you know, of a certain age right. and a certain demographic. So basically, to be fair, like basically baby boomer white guys living in the upper Midwest. And I am universalizing my experience (laughs) and projecting it out. On the rest of the world, you know, what we say at the intro to this podcast, you know, every race, nation, right. language, 24 time zones, two right. hemispheres, 20 centuries, I'm projecting out that. Now, it's one thing to say, and I can think with compassion to say, look, you grew up within a subculture, and you grew up within a very particular church subculture, mm-hmm. and it's understandable how being raised in that, just like if I went and talked to some Mennonites or Amish, and I'm like, you do know that, like, not everybody... Right. You know, rides around in buggies like this, right? Right. I mean, and I'm not making, fun. I'm just saying like, you are a subculture. Right. And I get it that if you grew up in the subculture, then that's normative. Right. But are you aware that you're part of a subculture? Right. Because the thing about those guys, and they're good guys, I don't even know these particular guys, but guys like that is they don't have the self-awareness to realize that they're part of a subculture. Right. Like, are you aware that for twenty centuries, twenty-four time zones, two hemispheres, nobody else thinks that? Right. That if we went around the world and visited, you know, even even evangelicals in Africa, evangelicals in South America, evangelicals in Asia, they wouldn't the other evangelicals in the United States are part of other races. If we went to black churches, black Protestant churches, right. they wouldn't say that. Right. And there's a strange, and again, I'm not trying to beat up these guys, but there's a strange sort of lack of awareness that they are within a very narrow subculture. And I think that part of it is, and that's what appealed to me about Catholicism, because right? Catholicism means the word Catholic means universal. It, yeah. it was, it was a, for me, a process of <clears throat> being awakened to the realization that it's all much bigger and I have to be aware. Uh, of the bigness and the diversity of views out there. And then I have to sort that out. Now, when the guy was saying, well, who's to say? You know, another thing that's occurred to me over time is there's this uh, line in the book of Judges. So the period of the Judges in the Old Testament was a period after Israel had come out of Egypt and the 40 years in the desert and they moved into the land and there was a period of uh, several hundred years there before the Kings arose. So Saul and David and Solomon, and it was ruled by the judges, which are basically like these kind of tribal leaders. Okay. But there's a phrase in the book of judges that describes that period of history. And it opens each kind of sequence in the book of judges. And it says in those days, there was no King in Israel and each man did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. And really, we kind of live in that space now in evangelicalism where there is no, to the point I say, there is no king. There is no authority. There's no controlling authority. Each pastor or each individual listening to each pastor is basically free to make up the version of Christianity that they prefer. There's, uh, you know,
1: I have uh, on Facebook, I have, a lot of friends, you know, I've had led a kind of a public life. So a lot, I have a lot of Facebook friends who, if they comment on something, I have to go f- try to figure out who they are because I right. can't remember who they are. You're so popular. <clears throat> See, I, I don't I have <throat> very many Facebook friends. I don't. You got to take guitar lessons from me, I'm telling <laughs> you. Anyway, there are a lot of posts about, you know, finally found a church I really like, really agree with this pastor. This, all, it's, this is all cut from that cloth, right? And, and people have said to me, over the years. Oh, when they found out that my wife and I had we're looking for some place to go to church. Tr- oh, you have to come to our church. You would love our pastor. You would love the band. The band is so good. And I actually before I considered Catholicism, I was already thinking, yeah, but what if he leaves? What if the pastor leaves? And what if what if the band, you know, what if the the drummer leaves and we get somebody else in there and then the band sucks. And
0: I don't know I don't want to go. With it. I gotta go find someplace else. And all of that you know. Well, here, I'll date, I'll date us again as being old guys, but you remember the book, Lake Wobegon Days? Yeah. Right? Scaris and Keeler. And so this book is like really old, like from the 80s or the 90s or something like, mm. right? But it's really hilarious. It's like the whole premise, if you never read it, was it's basically almost like a diary or description of life in this like small Minnesota town. Right. It's like a little conservative with Swedish immigrants, right? Yeah. It's a really funny book. But there's this hilarious sequence in there, and I won't waste a lot of time on it. But basically, the sequence is he gives the history of this one church in Lake Wobegon, the town in Minnesota. And and he's just really funny how he does it because he takes like four pages to describe their history. And he goes back to like, you know, the 16th century and there was the... Synod of whatever in Westphalia, and then, you know, 40 years later, there was the the Synod of the Concord of whatever in which these two denominations, the denomination divided into two halves, and then the one half, you know, and then they had like another Synod or another conference, and then there was another, you know, split off that, where, you know, and then they followed this one, you know, writer or this one seminary, right? And so it goes through this whole thing. Of, and then the then there was the great split of 1814. And then there was the, you know, whatever. Right. But the, the gist of this whole thing is it all comes down where he describes all of the splits and everything else. And he gets down to the end and he says... In the end, the one true church is eight people sitting in a living room <laughs> on Sunday afternoon in Lake Wobegon, right? right? And right. that's the one true church because, you know, die heretics, all the rest of you. And so the thing is, is that I think, you know, the whole point, the word Catholic, literally that's what Catholic church means. The word Catholic is, means universal. Yeah, That's why we say, you know, in, in, in the Nicene Creed, I, you know, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church or even the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the holy Catholic church. I believe in one universal church. So, so I would say to these guys with compassion, like guys, you need, I get where you're coming from. I know this makes you uncomfortable, but basically scripture and the testimony of all other Christians and and reason in my mind, because, because it doesn't even make sense to not say that the supernatural doesn't, you know, isn't transformational in the life of the Christian, but based on scripture, reason, and the testimony of 97% of the Christians that have ever walked to this earth or followed Jesus, including right. almost every significant Christian, author, writer, theologian, even in the Protestant world, and Protestants living in other parts of the world, I think, think you're wrong. Right. So, you can hold on to that. You can be the eight, the eight right. guys in the living room, but at some point, you've got to <clears throat> open your mind up and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe, maybe... There's a bigger world that I have to at least listen to. So I think in that conversation, that's where you're not going to just, you know, the whole point of a conversation like that isn't to sort of like prove them wrong. Right. But to open, like to raise their awareness.
1: Does that make well, sense? it, it, I was actually, you might not know this. I, I actually preached a sermon once at, oh. a, at a campground. they they called me up and said somebody emailed me and knew who i was and said could you we have we bring in speakers every sunday and and worship leaders and would you like to come in and lead it's just a bunch of people sitting around on the grass right it's just the people who want to come it's not that big a place it'll lead some songs some singing some worship songs and then preach a sermon and and i said well i think i I can come and do the, the the worship leading you know but i you know i think you're I think you're mistaken here about the preaching, you know, and to show you this, the, the depth and strength of my character. I said, she said, well, this does come with a stipend. And when she told me what it was, I said,
0: I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the preacher boy. I'll come up with a sermon.
1: Um, So I did. And I still have the notes, but my basic point was you can, and this, I guess this shows that I was already on the road a long time ago to this. My basic point was that if you want to know what God thinks, don't fall to the temptation of inventing him the way you'd like him to be. Mm -hmm. Rather, it is in your own best interest to go out and figure out who he is and work for it because then you will know. And that's how I feel about all of this. You know, look, look at me from, you know, I think it was two years ago this fall that I came to the Dante class and, and dipped my toe in the water. Right. Right. Sat in the back and didn't know the prayers. Right. (laughs) And I have learned a ton Yeah. and it's, and it's, I can't think of, honestly, I can't think of anything more important that's, yeah. There's just nothing else. If you yeah. want to know, if you, if, if you think if there's a God, and you think that it follows it logically that there's that He will want something from you or expect something from you, you better figure out what it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you, you, literally, what is existentially more important than you right. know your your eternal you know state? So here, here's the thing: as we wind this down, you, you know, again, I I don't think in evangelization, or evangelism, or whatever, the point is to to beat somebody and win an argument. You know, right. I mean. I can win arguments, but all that does is shut them down. And then we never, we never talk again. That's not the point. The point is, is to intrigue them enough. Yeah. Persuade them enough, cajole them enough, like lay enough out there that they, it opens them up to further conversation. So hopefully, you know, you at least open the windows or the doors enough to at least bring some, something in. Well,
1: one of them is works for himself all day on his own. He's done this for years and he's a pool guy he's had his own pool service for for many years down in florida he makes a great living and all he does is go around and serve his pools and so he listens to podcasts all day long and i said well there's this podcast and blah 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 he said and so before we left the table at the restaurant he had his phone in his hand and he pulled it up and he said is this the one and i said yes and he punched the subscribe button there you go so you know, who knows what will, you oh, go. look at that, look at that, Ed the Protestant, and gray. okay, all right, there we go.
0: There we go. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll be praying for him, and, you know, when you have further conversations like that, you know, bring them. And to all of you who are listening, by the way, as well, you know, if you've got questions, and and you want questions, or tips, or ways to talk about, to your friends about the Catholic faith, and, you know, by all means, write us uh, at consideringcatholicism.com consideringcatholism at gmail.com or just greg at com, and we'd be happy to to try to answer your questions and ed hopefully you you kind of you know open them up to to some things and who knows god may help move the ball down the field a little bit hope so thanks ed all right bye thank you for listening my name is greg smith and if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at com.